Hello, and welcome to the third episode of Pain in the Glass. Yes, um, we thought this week it would be a nice treat to share a little bit more about ourselves. Um, Normally, when we have our guests on, we talk to them about their previous life to coming to Madrid, what what brought them to Madrid, and their experiences of teaching here, and also their experience of life in general. So I guess we're going to be doing the same. Yeah, absolutely. Like, due to popular demand, because that's what the fans want, that's what you're going to get, guys. So, Rose, you want to start your beginning or my beginning? My beginning. Well, we lied. We're not really going to start right at the beginning. Although, I suppose we could. I was born (laughs) in... No, but seriously, I am from Cambridge, um, born and bred in Cambridge. That's where I've lived all my life. Apart from some forays into the foreign world, whenever I've lived in the UK, it's been Cambridge. And I absolutely love it. Um, I also went to university there, so um, I have experience of the town and the gown. So uh, <laughs> And, yeah, um, I studied... French and Spanish at Cambridge. I actually just graduated in June on a lovely rainy day. Mm-hmm. Um, it was glorious. I did my year abroad in Colombia. Oh, <laughs> and in Paris. Don't forget about <laughs> Which Paris. Which I always forget. Okay, so I did my year abroad in Colombia and in Paris. In Colombia, I was doing an internship at a very interesting online newspaper which is English language but all about Colombian current affairs and culture basically um, called Colombia Report and that was a fantastic internship. Living in Colombia I was only there for mm, maybe just less than four months but it really felt like a lot longer than that um, as it was a really really fantastic experience like everything about I couldn't have promised it better okay but give us some more details <laughs> so I lived in Medellin well I should say from the outset that Medellin is where Luke and I met and that's why she likes it so much <laughs> so that was one thing I met Luke there we both lived in Medellin um, and obviously Luke is going to talk more about his <clears throat> experience of Colombia as well um, but for me it was just just non-stop fun basically met a lot of great great people including Luke the work was really interesting I learned so much about Colombia in a really really short space of time Medellin is a fantastic city really vibrant absolutely hectic like so my office was in the center which is just um my parents came to visit and they said and they came on a rainy day um and they said it was like Blade Runner. It was like, and I actually haven't seen Blade Runner, but um, that exactly might. If like you that. have seen Blade Runner, that might give you an idea of what Medellin was like. I don't know. Less neon lights, <laughs> but actually no, no, there are different. different it's like a sprawling metropolitan city, basically, yeah. but surrounded by beautiful, beautiful valley countryside. The people were wonderful, just so bright and friendly. The music, actually, literally everything was bright. The, the country is bright and colourful. Everywhere you look is just colours, wonderful, wonderful, bright colours. And the culture is the same. We got to travel around the country a lot. The weather was fantastic. 
we just had so many adventures and we just really packed a lot of great stuff in for a short amount of time. And now life is bleak <laughs> and dreary. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Now, okay. shall I carry on talking about myself or do you want to talk about Columbia? Let me, let me, let me butt in here. Yes. And tell you a bit about myself. <laughs> but, hi, I'm Luke. Luke Marrow, for those who don't know me. Uh, I, I'm from, from Surrey originally. Everyone's from Surrey. I know, but I hate saying Think that. Think of something more original. I, okay, I'm from London. I, <laughs> I always say I'm from London to people out here because, well, I don't want to say I'm from Surrey, basically. <laughs> uh, but I'm from Kingston-upon-Thames, East Molesey, more accurately. Uh, however, I don't have any family there anymore. I've got no ties to there because my mum lives in Cornwall, my dad lives in Oxfordshire, and I'm in the middle of nowhere. I have no home. I don't know where I live. Where am I from? Who am I? Madrid. Okay, yeah, that's, that's it. That's how I'll do it. <laughs> anyway, uh, I graduated in 2013? Yeah, that would be right. 2013. And after that, well, I was studying Spanish and business well, studies. 2014? It would have been 2013. Are you sure? Yeah, because I started in 2009 oh. and it was a four-year course. Okay. Because I studied Spanish and business studies, mm. uh, which went terribly because I'm an awful student. However, the experience that I had there was incredible. And by there, I mean in Madrid the first time around in my Erasmus year, which is the first time I lived here. So I did my Erasmus year. I was working for Universal Music and that was uh, a good experience and a bad experience taught me that i never wanted to work in an office again uh, and but i also fell in love with the city so i decided to come back here and that's why i've been here for the last two years after that what did i do after i graduated so in 2000 and whenever it was whenever we decided it was 2013 i worked for a chemical testing company where we tested pesticides and herbicides and all the wonderful things that do great for our societies and communities. And um, why? I was on the dole and I was trying to earn some extra cash. And so I was working, weeding a cabbage patch <laughs> at, uh, at this company called I2L Research, which is a fantastic company. Any big chemical corporations listening, <laughs> please send your chemicals to them. And I started weeding, and then I did some more weeding, and then I did some more work around the site, and then eventually they offered me a job as a trials officer because I obviously showed dedication, hard work, and because I'm so fit and healthy, they decided to give me a job. Uh, and, yeah, it was, it was, it was great. Like... The job itself was right up my street because I, I really like being outdoors. I like working with my hands. I love working with plants. I mean, most of it was collecting slugs or counting aphids on a leaf. Things that people might find quite dull, but mm -hmm. actually uh, fascinating. You know, uh, and, and doing, doing experiments as well. Mm. That's, that's pretty much what it was. But anyway, this podcast isn't about me and my bug-killing days. This is about teaching. So after that, my friend said that he wanted to travel to South America and I had 
saved up a bit of money and I decided to move home and work at Asda for a while. So I worked as a shelf stacker at Asda for a few months to save up the last little bit that I needed. Back, yeah, because I was at Newcastle. I was up in Newcastle doing, doing my, working and doing my studies. And then, yeah, so after working at Asda for a few months in February of 2015, I went on my adventure with my friend, which was terrifying, which was invigorating, which was life-affirming, and it it really, I, it sounds so cheesy, so pretentious, but it, it did change me. Mm. I, I am a very different person to the person that I was back then. Not just my hair, <laughs> not just the fact that I don't wear a cap anymore. Thank goodness. <laughs> but, but I am a very, I'm, I'm a new person. And it's thanks to that experience. So after the travels for four months, two of which I was spent living in a hostel in Ecuador on the beach, not living, working in. So we were kind of volunteering for bed and board. I, I moved on. So I applied for a job in Colombia, as we were talking about, as you were talking about earlier, I'm not going to go into detail because you've already talked so well about mm-hmm. the people, about the culture, about the vibrant lifestyle that we lived out there. Uh, but I worked in a school out there, so doing a very similar program to the Auxilia program here. So you're working alongside a Colombian teacher in the classroom, 50-50 divide, and you're. I was teaching. I was teaching to a secondary school in. In Medellin, in in Poblado, which is is quite a fancy area of Medellin, but the school was not so fancy. It was three thousand kids, so obviously a hectic schedule, and they were fantastic. Like I I won't I won't forget any of them anytime soon. The teaching was difficult because. A lot of the teachers out there didn't speak English or didn't have a particularly high level of English. So it was it was quite difficult to work alongside them. Even if you got on with them fantastically and you got on like a, like a house on fire, it's difficult from a professional point of view to, to actually work alongside them because they're either using the book because it's safe or pronouncing things wrong. What was your first experience of teaching in a book? Yeah, so, so how did you get into it? That's true. I, I, right. So yeah, I mean, th- it's not all negative. Obviously, it's not all negative. Like the 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 kids themselves were very willing to learn. There were lots of different levels within classes, and they were they were very receptive to having a foreigner in the classroom. And they were like, as everyone in Colombia is when you say I live here, they were very intrigued as to why you chose <laughs> to live in Colombia. Like from taxi drivers to politicians, it was everyone, wasn't it? It's one of my memories of Colombia that every time you spoke to a Colombian person about why you were there, they would they were so excited and they would ask you like a torrent of all these questions like, don't you think Colombia is beautiful? Don't you think Medellin is beautiful? Don't you think the women are beautiful? Don't you think the food is amazing? Isn't it the best place you've ever been? Don't you love it? Don't you love the music? Like, <laughs> and you would just be sitting there going like, see, 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 see. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was just like so 
they just had so much excitement that, that you were there and they just wanted to share everything with you. And, and I thought that was really special because when we were there, they were in negotiations, long, long negotiations for a peace deal between the government and the um, guerrilla fighting for FARC. And obviously I'm not going to go into detail on that. You can read up on that yourself, guys. There's an article that Rose wrote, <laughs> compiled. Um, but it was a really special time to be there because we weren't there when they signed the peace deal, but we were there sort of in the lead up and it was really amazing. Like the country was opening itself up to tourism and really finding its feet, especially Medellin, which used to be the homicide capital. And actually, when, so as I said, in my year abroad, I did, I went to Colombia and I went to Paris, I went to Medellin. And when, before I left in England, everyone we spoke to about it, we being me and my, and my family, they would be like, oh, oh, they would say to my mum and dad, oh, oh, aren't you worried? Aren't you terrified? And they would say to me, like, oh, you're going to Colombia. Hmm, that's interesting. Isn't it very, very dangerous? Aren't you going to get kidnapped? All this stuff. And actually, when I was there, I felt entire... Obviously, we have to say that things happen, bad things happen, and that is true. But it's way more true for um, Colombian people, particularly living in rural areas, for example, Hmm. than it is for tourists. Um, doing the tourist trail and it's actually nowadays pretty safe and we speaking for for myself I never ever ever felt um, under threat at all and then I went to Paris where they had just had the attack Uh, and when I went there they just had them a couple of months ago and there really was an atmosphere of fear and you would see you'd see these army people and police officers holding guns in the street that really and they really stood out and they really made me feel uncomfortable and then and there was a big um demonstration a long-standing demonstration going on in Place de la République when I was there and uh, me and some friends got caught up in a riot there and one of my friends got an injury and that happened in Paris and we had we ended up in the hospital I, it just really made me think you know like the the perceptions that people have yeah. of these places I remember you saying before moving to Paris that you felt like it was a lot more dangerous than than Colombia. We were in Colombia, weren't we, when the attacks happened and we watched it unfold on the news. And I was already really scared about... No, I wasn't scared, sorry. I was really nervous about going to Paris because we had met and you were going to stay in Colombia and I was really sad to leave you and to leave Colombia. And then we saw the attacks and I was like, oh my goodness, why am I going there? Well, speaking of safety, Rose, you've got a story to tell about Madrid. Oh, I got robbed. Got robbed. Quite a few of our friends have been robbed out here, unfortunately. Yeah. So, again, another point for Medellin. Another yeah. point for Colombia. Did not get robbed in Medellin. Didn't get robbed once. Actually, no. no, that's a lie. I did. Oh, did you? Yeah, do you not remember the, the tent? Ah. Uh, Someone yeah. came into our tent in the dead of night when we were wild camping and while we were sleeping, took yeah. stuff from our friend's tent from next to her head. That which is a really scary story. Really terrifying, but not a sign of what <laughs> it is like. So don't worry about it. Don't worry. Don't think about it. <laughs> After Colombia, 
I decided to move back to Spain, which was a fantastic decision. So I didn't know exactly what I was going to be doing, uh, but I, I got a job at an academy out here, which I had never done before. I had done some private classes in, in Colombia whilst I was teaching because I had the mornings off, so I used that to do some private teaching. But I'd never worked in an academy and I didn't know what it was going to entail or or what I would have to do. It turns out it was, yeah, it was a good experience. As Katie said in the last episode, it's not great for teachers. If you love teaching, if you, if you want to express yourself, if you want to be open, if you want, if you want to develop your style of teaching, you can't really do that in, a, in an academy because you are bound by the books. You have to use the books a certain amount of time and as she said as well, academies are money-making place, uh, places. So at the end of the day, they don't particularly care. Some don't particularly care about the students or the teachers' well-being, which is a shame. On the other hand, it's fun. I like the groups, the, the exam preparation. It can be boring, but you can also make it a little bit fun. You And especially with adults, you can have great conversations if they are a decent level, you can you can get them to express themselves, open up, and you can form friendships at the end of the day, which maybe some people say that's not a good thing, being friends with your kids. It's just not it's not done. But I I enjoyed it. I I felt like we had a good working relationship um, and personal relationship with a lot of my students. Um, but I felt like it was time for a change, which is why. We started doing the Auxiliar Program. So, Willis, tell us about your experience with the Auxiliar Program. So, Luke moved to Madrid a year before I did, while I did my final year of university. And I decided to move out to Madrid and join him after I graduated because I wanted to live abroad again and I wanted to practice my Spanish again and have another adventure and it seemed like a really good place to do it because Luke was already here and because there was there's this program that you can do so I didn't really know what I wanted to do after I graduated and this was a really good way of getting some experience um, and practicing my language skills so I applied through the British Council which actually have the same program worldwide. They have it all over Europe and in some South American countries too. Um, and maybe in other places, I'm not sure. Maybe in some Asian countries. I, so I applied through the British Council in about January of my final year of university. And I had my application accepted. There were a few stages to it. I had my application accepted. Um, you have to put down your preferences for countries that you want to work in. So I put down Spain. Then I think I put down France. And then I think I maybe put down Colombia after that. Um, and then within the countries, you have to select regional preferences. So for Spain, I selected Madrid. And then I randomly chose two other regions um, and just hoped that I didn't get allocated to there. Um, and I then you have to put down different preferences. So you have to put down location preferences. So that's um, 
countryside, town or city. Then you have to put down age preferences, so primary, secondary, adult kind of thing. That might be all the preferences, I can't remember. Anyway, so I selected all those preferences, really, really hoping to be allocated to Madrid because the whole way through the British Council application, they give you these warnings saying it is highly looked down upon to pull out of the programme. Once you apply, you are committing to do the programme wherever you get allocated. And I was planning on (laughs) not doing it if I didn't get allocated to Madrid because the whole point was I wanted to come to Madrid to, to live here. So I was very pleased when I got allocated the region of Madrid Um, which happened in maybe April or May. Mm. And I was supposed to find out the name of my school in July or August um, so that you can then start planning your year. Then you can start choosing your accommodation and and, um, making travel plans. But that didn't end up happening. I actually didn't end up finding out my school until... Uh, the day after I was supposed to start at work, so that was a roller coaster of fun. Um, <laughs> but because I knew that I wanted to live in Madrid, me and Luke actually sorted out our accommodation before I, uh, well, well in advance. So I was set. I moved out here in September. Well, we both moved out here in September, and I started work at the school in October. Uh, it's a primary school. It's in a town called Boria del Monte, which is to the west of Madrid, and it takes me about an hour and ten minutes to get there on public transport, which is quite long, but also kind of standard for um, language assistance in Madrid, actually. Um, so it's not that bad. You've got some reading time, listening to podcasts time, um, and the school is really a great community kind of school. The one difficulty is the timetable of the school, which is that they have a two-hour lunch break. So even though the language assistance programme is 16 hours, in Madrid, it's 16 hours a week and a thousand euros per month. There you go, I've just revealed our salary to you all. Um, In other parts of Spain, it's actually 700 euros a month for 12 hours a week. So even though we're supposed to be working for 16 hours a week, um, our school has a two-hour lunch break in the middle of the day, which kind of disrupts that and means that we end up staying in the school for many more hours per week, which obviously is slightly unfortunate, and I would love to be able to come home earlier. But we we do have a nice time during our breaks, and it's all quite relaxed, um... And after school, I pick up a bit of extra cash by doing private lessons um, with the kids from the school, like Katie was talking about in episode two. So every day after school, I go I go to the house of um, some kids from the school and give them private lessons and come back in the evening time to, ha- to share a lovely meal with Luke. Which I have lovingly prepared. Yeah. Because <laughs> my timetable is very different. So I work in a school in, in Fuenlabrada, which is a little bit outside of Madrid, maybe about an hour door to door. But my experience is very different. So it's a vocational college. It's, it specialises in office administration, in transport, in commerce and sales, in international, blah, blah, blah. 
which is good for me because I did teach business English. I studied business studies. So last year, alongside the academy, I was also working for the business side of the company. So I would go to in-house to El Corte Inglés, which is a huge chain of, of supermarkets, so, but like John Lewis, basically, out here. And I would teach the buyers and sellers and, and logistics people and do business English teaching out there. So this school was right up my street. It worked perfectly for me. <clears throat> a lot of it is specified business language, which for some teachers may be difficult, may be boring, but no, I enjoy it. It's what I'm used to. However, my timetable is very different to Rose's. So I start earlier most of the days. I start at 8.30, so I'd have to be out the house by 7.15. And then I do get to finish before lunch most days most days i will be done by 1 30 at the latest the different the other difference in, in our schools i think is that rose said that her school is, is there's a lot there's a lot of community there's a sense of community and especially because you've got five language assistants mm. it means that you get to spend a lot of time with with them chatting to them talking all the time however in my school i'm the only language assistant and there are three english teachers and, you know, so every now and then we go for coffee or we have coffee downstairs. And, but it's a predominantly Spanish-speaking environment, which is great for me. I like, I, you know, I need to practice. It's what I studied. It's what I, what I came out to Spain for. However, it's it, like every now and then I just need to take myself off, go read a book and just sit in silence, which is also easy to do. The community spirit is not as strong, I don't think. Mm. Maybe it's something to do with the primary school versus vocational training college versus secondary school or maybe it's just the school itself it's a brand new school it was established this year so this year is the first year that, it, that it's been running so it's still going through teething problems however things like today today is international women's day we are recording on the 8th of march, 8th of march. thank you rose uh, on the 8th of march and all around the school, there were posters there were of, of women who had won Nobel Prizes, women who, famous women from history. The woman it's, the, the school is named after, Federica Monseni, was the first minister of Spain. So just things like that. And tomorrow is uh, in Fuenlabrada, the, the town is like a day of the tortillas. So in the squares around Fuenlabrada, they have people bringing their tortillas, homemade tortillas to give to people. So in the school, we're doing the same thing. We've got a competition for people to bring in their own Spanish omelettes and have a competition to see who's made the best one. That kind of stuff is great. That, that is, is wonderful. I'm not sure if you get that in many other schools. The teaching itself is also fantastic. The students are dedicated. They're older. They are maybe between, well, they are between 15 and I think maybe 50 is probably the mm -hmm. oldest, oldest that I have. Which is great because you get a lot of different experiences and levels of English all coming together and helping each other, strengthening each other's levels. Whether it's in English speaking itself or in CV writing or interviewing. So it really shows the variety in the auxiliar or the language assistant <coughs> programme and 
I, because I applied through the British Council, I went to an induction day in October before we started, and they really did say that a lot of things about your year are going to depend on your school. Mm. And, you know, the programme is what it is, but actually, at the end of the day, it's your working life is going to be you sorting things out with the teachers at your school and arranging it with them. And you have to, each school is going to have a different system, a different structure, different, they might want slightly different, there are centralised things about the Alcalia programme in general, but actually the schools are the, the schools are what dictate how your year is going to go. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's definitely true with our cases. The differences between you having to make up your hours in June by working on Fridays and me being sent home early almost every day. Um, <laughs> right, let's talk about the future. Neither of us are particularly sure what the hell we want to do. <laughs> However, I I'm no I I have enjoyed the last three years of teaching so much, and I would love to continue into the future. So, I think. When I get home, I would love to do a PGCE and teach Spanish and maybe French, but probably not. Uh, or continue being an ESSO teacher. This is what I've been debating with myself earlier, which I was going to talk to you, but I haven't done yet. Uh, so this is now me revealing this to the world. Uh, Welcome to our <coughs> private life. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. We have fun. We have laughs. Uh, so... Yeah, those are my. That's what I'm debating at the moment. And I know I wanted to ask you, Rose. I know in the first episode you were talking to to Tyree and to Anna, and you said that this is a great program for people to come out and experience life abroad. And you know, if they haven't figured out what they want to do with their lives, it's a good chance to do that. And I do agree with that. However, I would say it's not for everyone who wants to do that. Like for me personally, I I think we need to see more people who are interested in careers in education doing programs like this, because although you don't have to be an educator, you don't have to be a disciplinary in the classroom, you do have a degree of responsibility. And if you're not interested in it, if you if you don't like working with children, if you don't like working with people or or in that environment, then it's not for you. Yeah, I mean. That's true because it is a very, very challenging thing to do, to get up in front of a group of children or students yeah. and, and do that. I, I have a problem with it because, you know, obviously you have to start somewhere. But I've seen a lot of people come and go in, in my three years, in my three years of experience. Oh, you're so um, long in the tooth. <laughs> who just don't really care about the students and are using it as an excuse to, to travel. See, I'm not sure I've really come across that many people like that. That's true. I mean, the people that you work with, not so much. No, everyone's really, like, really interested in it and really wants to do their best, in my experience. Right. Yeah, I think I've just I've just seen peop- some people who maybe were sick sick of what they were doing at home, and I, you know, I'm guilty of this as well, and then come out here to teach, but given up too quickly, or just don't enjoy it enough which means that the students don't enjoy it. And at the end of the day, you're teaching not for yourself. You're teaching because you want to educate other people. Anyway, what about you? What about, what's your future future plans? What do you think you're going to do with your life? Well, I don't know for sure. 
but I have always been interested in teaching. I've always, always loved working with children and young people. I mean, that's one of those annoying things. Yeah, okay, not always, always. (laughs) But, no, genuine, okay, so not always, but when I was about eight or nine, I were, and at, some, you know, one of those adult parties where all the kids get dragged along, I would find the younger children and look after them. So, (laughs) so honestly, really, I would, you know, at family events, I would look after my cousin's children who were babies. I would, at, at my parents' work events, I would find their colleagues' younger children and kind of play with them and teach them and and look after them and be like their sort of older sister or mum or whatever maybe because I'm the youngest sister you didn't have any so I didn't have that so I enjoyed that kind of responsibility and I also just love um kids I think they're hilarious and cute so uh that's always been there and I and then as I got older I did start to actually work with children like volunteering and working on um summer schools or doing work experience my year 10 work experiences at a primary school but I have always also had other interests and been unsure about which route to go down because I think that teaching is an incredibly admirable and respectful and challenging job and I don't I would never want to do it because I couldn't think of anything else, if that makes sense. So I want to... by School of Rock. <laughs> School of Rock is my favourite film of all time. Maybe that's also why I'm interested in teaching. Um, <laughs> so I think I am interested in it, but I want to, if before I pursue it as a career, I want to really make sure that it is something that I really want to do and because there are other things that I'm interested in part of me wants to try those things to make sure that whatever decision I make is the right one why do you think teaching is it is a fallback though no I don't that's the thing but for some people it is because those that can't do teach and those that can't teach teach gym am I right I don't know what you're referencing. <laughs> so it made me look stupid. <laughs> that was a school of rock quote for anyone who doesn't know. So all of Rose's family, you'll know. Um, uh, but I do think that's a, that uh, that classic quote does reveal something about society that people think that teaching is a fool. But pe- oh, if I if I fail in whatever it is that I want to do, I can always be a teacher. Or if I can't think of anything, I can always be a teacher. But I think there is there is something to it. I, I was asking you because I like, I do think that you can get into teaching at any age. Yeah, but not as a fallback. Not as a fallback. People but get into it after another career because they realise they are not being fulfilled by their career. Precisely, precisely. But you can you can get into it at any age. Mm. Like there are teachers who I've got one teacher that I work with who might be on the podcast at some point, and she started teaching three years ago after a career in in finance for <clears throat> I don't know thirty years or something, and she she loves it. She realised that yeah she wasn't being fulfilled in in her job, and she, this is something that she realised that she can do and that she's really good at and. Yeah, I've got a lot of time for people who who realise 
that whatever they did wasn't emotionally or spiritually or whatever it was within them. And I think that is good. And I think that that is something that potentially might be my mm-hmm. life because it is something that I has always always been there for me. So I would rather, in a way, maybe, I mean, all these things, oh, this whole discussion is massive hypothetical, yeah. but rather do it that way and go to it when I'm fully ready after having tried something. Because I think, I think for me, if I went, maybe, <laughs> if I went into it now, I would think, what if I had tried this other thing? I completely, I completely agree with you. And I think uh, th- this is my, my life advice. And maybe not everyone has this luxury. Definitely not everyone has this luxury. But try lots of different things until you find the thing that you do love. Like, try... Because, uh, as I said, when I worked at Universal, I realised that I didn't want to work in an office. When I worked, when I worked killing bugs... I realised that I loved working. Work. I loved working outside, but I needed to be intellectually stimulated a bit more as well. When I worked at ASDA, I realised I didn't want to work at ASDA. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, and you've just got you've got to find your right. You've got to find the thing that's right for you. Try things first, and I completely agree. Come back when you're ready. But I've always said that. So, what is the other thing that you wanted to do? <laughs> well. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit it because I'm worried about uh, terrible, terrible Twitter backlash. Um, but I am interested in broadcast journalism, so be that TV or radio, and um, it's that that interest has partly inspired the making of this podcast mm-hmm, for us absolutely. because um, I absolutely love listening to podcasts and, and I've been getting really into that recently um, and I've had this idea of working in broadcast I did a tiny bit of TV at university like student TV and wanted to try making our own radio I guess um, so that's something that I'm interested in I'm scared because if the listeners out there think I'm doing a terrible job and they tell me then they'll crush my dreams well, they can tell you, but then you can just improve, can't you? <laughs> if you've got any positive criticism, listeners at home, please send it in to us. Positive. Yeah. Uh, and if Jane Garvey is listening, please give me a job. <laughs> <laughs> I listen to Women's Hour every day. Right, that was another episode of Pain in the Class with us. Rose. And Luke. Thanks for listening. And have a lovely week. See you next time. Follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at Pain in the Class.